Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, driver's recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed up on. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with a dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Daddo is my name. I'm pretty excited about today's guest because he's he's a man with a dream. And it just turns out that his dream looks a lot like my dream. And that's not having a hole in one or shooting sub 70 every fourth round or anything like that. It's to have a golf shop. Only he's had the guts to actually do it. He's tried his world in business. He played college golf in America. Um, He's got an engineering background, but the, the draw, the lure of the game of golf has brought him back to this, and it's club making. And not any sort of club making, his own kind of club making. And the store is gorgeous. And this is one of the great things I've noticed, that sort of unique stores are turning up all over the place. You've got Angus and Grace Go Golfing, that's in, in Sydney, and beautiful clothes, but also beautiful old refurbished golf clubs. Well, Mulligan's will have their own gear and they're refurbishing clubs as well. There's got a full workshop, but there's a putter area. There's a brand new club fitting area as well, where you can take your, your new old stuff and try that out and get that fully worked and refurbished. So it's really, God, it's gorgeous. And it's, and Adam has that enthusiasm, that genuine enthusiasm that's really likable, really fun. He's got a dog called Hogan. I mean, I think that'll set up the kind of bloke that he is. And honestly, for a bit of a golfing busted unit like me to walk in there and see his stuff in his gear and the clubs that he's made and the clubs he's refurbished was just, it was great fun. So this is Adam Jefferson. We started with where we always start. How did you get into golf? I think you'll enjoy this chat. So I was a, a tennis player as a junior and I could remember having a, a golf lesson at about mm, seven or eight years old and then the next week I decided I wanted to play football instead. 
Aussie uh, Rules. Aussie Rules, that's for right. For which club? The Glen Waverley Rovers Junior Football Club. Yeah, but you're going to play for the Mighty Demons or the... The Mighty Saints. Yeah, okay. Absolutely, yeah, which I'm a, I'm a heartbroken Saint supporter most of the time. As you all are, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I went on to play football and then tennis and I, I balanced that with cricket in the summer. Yeah. And then I was about, I think I was probably 15 or 16 and I'd get pretty tired of getting out early and sitting there for the whole day. And a couple of the guys from the cricket club would go after training and, and sneak on the back nine of Waverley Public and hit a few balls. Nice. So my first experience was probably 16, going out and hitting a few shots. And I think with my sporting background, it came pretty naturally to me. So I was lucky in that sense. And within a couple of years, I think I just played every day and I was down to scratch pretty quick. Right. Which will help with your love, I think. Did you, <laughs> did you harbour thoughts of a professional golfing career? I mean, obviously, you know, sort of 16, 17, and you're playing really well. Mm. Did that enter your mind? So I think everyone probably does it that in that class. Um, I ended up, I went to uni out of high school, yeah. and I did engineering, and I, I really disliked it for about a year and a half. And then I started looking So you around, disliked it? Disliked it. Hated university the first time. Did you hate the engineering, or did you like the engineering, hated the hated university? Hated the university component. Yeah, it really didn't sit well with me. As maybe just 18, 19-year-old young men, I don't think we're mm. all ready for it. Mm. Um, so then I started looking for scholarships in America to go and play golf, and it took me probably a year. And because of my age and the other amateur experience, I was really only looking and getting a scholarship at Division Two colleges. So I had a choice of a few different places, and at about, I think I was 21 by the time I got there, so I went to Texas A&M International over in San Antonio. Um, spent three or four years over there playing golf. And I think by the time I'd halfway through my college career, it was pretty obvious there's a, a lot of good players out there. Yeah. So I was... and I, I, I hear this a lot. Yeah. I think I'd always known that. And then yeah. when you see the Americans, they can just tee up and hit... They hit driver on every hole. Yeah. Just fearless. And I'd grown up playing on the sand belt yeah. where you just hit two iron everywhere because there's tea tree left and right. You, don't, you can't risk it. So it was just a different game when you got over there, the experience. Um, but I'd always um, tinkered with my clubs and been... I think I knew that I was probably more into that aspect than most golfers. So that was always a fallback for me. I was probably more passionate about building stuff than I was about hitting stuff. So it, I thought about it, but it never really occurred to me that I was going to make it as a pro. Yeah. This was sort of always my passion. But, so you, but you wanted to be involved in the game of golf? Yeah, I think so. From okay. a very... <laughs> the interesting part is I did go to uni for 10 more years. So I kept trying not to be a golfer yeah. or golf-related. But at some point, it was probably up after I got my first professional job, you know, in a suit working in town, I lasted about 12 months in that. And then I thought, this is just not, this can't be right. all there is. So let me just sort of explain what, um, or describe the shop. So the shop is Mulligan's. It's at the top end of High Street in Armadale. So just up, just south of Glenferry Road. You come in, it's, a, it's gorgeous, right? It's a just good old-fashioned shop front with... Club set up, and then as you look through the back of the shop, there's a whole work shed or, or workspace where you actually, like you do the, the, this, you know, this is my dream, right? So you've got a proper setup to actually tinker and fix and recreate, right? Yeah, so I think I've aspired to have something like this since I started. We, we, let's, let, we better sort the dog. So that's the dog, Hogan. And so Hogan's tied up and sucking on some ball or something. But it's, the work shed is really good. So there's a stack of clubs all set up, either fixed up or waiting to be fixed up. Um, there's not a lathe, but a grinder and a cutter and a... Yeah, we've got all the tools. If I could fit more grinders in here, I would have had 10 grinders in here. Yeah, two uh, Lion Loft machines. 
Yeah, putter and irons, okay. not not that out, outrageous. Yeah. Uh, but there is four or five bench grinders in, yeah. this, in the small room out the back. Um, I mean, it's a 130-year-old building. Yeah. So you sort of have to work with the space that you've got. And I've spent months trying to design the storage and how it will all work and flow. And I think that it's pretty exciting now that I can see it, you know, coming to fruition. So how's it going to Like, it's called Mulligan's Club Makers. Are you going to make clubs? Like, are you going to... Yeah. Is the idea to have your own brand? Yeah, well, we will have a brand called Club Makers. I've been grinding my own blanks out of Japan for a couple of years yeah. now. So I'm, I'm hoping to grow that. It's just something the refurbishment and refinish keeps me as busy as anything. So I haven't had a lot of downtime, especially with building the shop. But it's one of those things I'd really like to get into is, is making my own stuff from scratch. Right. All so, the time. So, the, so this is just nerding out a little bit. Are they the Kyobi... Yeah, raw I'll work wedges. With some blanks. Yeah. yeah, there's a set over there just sitting on the bench. If you want to have a look at yeah. some finished ones off. Yeah, so I've got heaps of the Kyoe irons, and they I think they're really nice to work with. They're good steel, and it's a it's just an awesome process to go through shaping the steel in your hands. Yeah. And so and what is the up. what is the actual process? How does it work? Because like I mean I I mean I've done it, um, and I lo- I lo- love them. Right? Don't you love so, how there's no rules about how to do it? You can't really ask well, someone how they do it, and there's no set way of. Oh, so okay, so how do you do it? Uh, I generally, I'll bore through the hosel um, to take a little bit of weight out because yeah. I think that the CG is really important to get a bit more toe side. And then you start, generally you start working on your face shape. So you get the address shape right. And it's just so easy to get too small too quick, isn't it? Yeah. So you've got it to be really delicate with your hands. And then once you've got that, you can start working on your toe to weight, which you take off the back and just get the mass down. And it's just... Hours and hours of different grinds and different right. belts. So let's dumb that down a little bit, right? So, so when you say you drill, drill because I mean, like, honestly, it's the the way it works is you buy a head that's significantly larger than a normal head, right? With yeah, significantly bigger bounce right? and yeah. So there's a bit to take off, but when you say you drill the, ho- you actually drill down into the hosel. Yeah, so <laughs> put it in a bore through vice, um, and then. But why? I think you can remove 10 grams of unnecessary weight from the neck to start with, and then you're not taking off weight in the, in the important bits at the end. So one's, like, silver, and this is... I don't even know what that's called. Said, that's <laughs> so the, the, gen- the gentleman wanted three different finishes for his three wedges, so he'd yeah. never be confused. So we've got one black, one copper, and one chrome in this set. Okay, and, and, look, and do they all come... They just all come in that raw steel, right? Yeah, so... And then I, you've had them plated and... I do all the finishing, yeah. Plating's one of those things that you've really got to work at and it takes a long time to be good at. Yeah. Um, and if you look down the hosel, you can see where we put a small hole just to remove a few more grams before you start any of the grinding process. Okay. I like that. A lot of the manufacturers have done it over the years. I think it just saves you 10 grams in the hosel that you can work with around the blade with shaping mm-hmm. and I suppose in my early experience and everyone who's at home listening who's ground their own stuff you'll know that it does get really small really quick so mm. it's better to know what you're working with at all times I suppose it's a really slow process so you just weigh it constantly and check on what you're doing because once you make a big mistake it's over yeah, <laughs> yeah. And but, so, so what so what weight head are you trying to get to and so just as an aside you know like like as a hickory player Right, and so you're always trying to find clubs that are made in St Andrews, right? Because it's you know the home of golf, obviously. But um, and this sort of has that sense of like a little old factory, like a you know like a an old crafty factory, doesn't it? Yeah. So that was what I was going through the whole time I've been renovating and developing. I was 
really hoping to get that blend of art gallery and vintage workshop. Yeah. And, and I think Mulligan's is really a sort of nostalgic throwback brand. I love working on the older stuff more so than the newer stuff. So just to get all of that feel into the place was what I was really going for. Okay. And hopefully if we get the club makers um, brand going in the direction I'd like it, we'll get that St. Andrews kind of feel. You okay. know? Not immediately, but... No, no, no. But, I, no, but, but, it's this, but it's the sense of it. It's the romance of it. And I think yeah. that's what is really, you know, just from looking in from outside... Just going, <laughs> you know, because it's a it is a romantic game, and there should be a romance and a love around it. So, sorry, back to the thing. So, so they can get too small too quickly. Yeah, when you're taking off material, um, you can just grind, and it, you just one slip or two, and you, all of a sudden it's too light and it's probably unusable. Now, we basically you you calculate head weight based on shaft length, shaft type, grip type. That's how you get your swing weight. So, when you're doing something from scratch, you can sort of control all of those components as much as possible throughout the process, which yeah. is the best way of doing, well, hang on. So doing do you, a golf club. So you're saying you need to know that... That's, he's right. He's right. Um, that Hogan really likes me. <laughs> Hogan's rooting my leg. <laughs> he's a very good boy. Just excited. Um, Loves company. So, so you, do you try and work it all out from, yeah. from the... Obviously from the shaft and the grip and everything all together as opposed to just going... I'm just going to make that shaped head and really like it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no... That's just the wrong way to do it. Yeah, uh, well, if if you don't have a choice, if you're getting it from a manufacturer and you have to build it like that, then that's where you've got tip weights and you have to make allowances. Yeah. But if you're building it all from scratch, you know, you get the the beauty of that process is you can grind it down to the nearest gram. You can get that thing absolutely perfect. All right, so how many grams should the head be? Well, it varies depending on the iron and the length of the shaft, etc. Oh, okay. But I suppose you're looking at sand wedges are probably 290 to 295 grams, 300 if they're heavier. Yeah. And then your iron varies from 220 to 30 and your three iron to 270. It's sort of seven gram increments per head. Oh, okay. So you, there is something to work with there. Yeah. Hi. Um, sorry, so someone's just come in to do a bit of um, a little bit of tie, little bit of tire kicking. Um, so, what, what do you love about the process? Oh, it'd be hard to isolate the one bit I love about it. I think um, all of it. I get a lot of satisfaction just from building a really successful golf club that's swing weighted correctly and frequency matched and things like that. But yeah. the grinding and the shaping—it's it's very hard to. That's probably the best bit is to be able to shape everything just the lines that I like, put the radiuses on that I like. Everything about the shape of the head, getting that right, is pretty satisfying. Okay, so th- let me put to you what was put to me when I made mine, and mine are how did you go? They're real bastard versions. Oh, right? my, so my, this, my first set were terrible. So the, well, no, the sandwich is really beautiful, right? And the the, the which is called the sandy, right? So it's an S and then an and symbol, mm. and then the Y. So S and Y sandy sandwich, right? Stamped it, right? Bad version, <laughs> terrible. Um, <laughs> and the um, the lob wedge is the shizzle, right? So the idea for that was it pure, like simply to so if someone was near my bag and I, I, I'd go to the bunker and I'd say to them, hey, Adam, get us the shizzle, right? And they'd go, what? And they'd look at the bag and they'd see a club called shizzle with shizzle stamped on it. And that one looks quite good, but the gap wedge is awful. Yeah. It's actually almost square. Okay. But then it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter to me. Uh, okay. It would. Uh, it depends. If it doesn't matter to you, then it's that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I think when I make my own stuff, yeah, I'm extremely pedantic about all of those little elements. Okay. Um, but I guess every club is individual in the end. So yeah. maybe if you like your gap wedge and your sandwich to be like that, and yeah. if the customer laid it out for me, I'd be able to do it. And they, and they have the they have the 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 distances stamped on them. So 100. The shooter 
That's I the gut wedge. That. What happens when you start hitting it shorter or further? I know it, it just doesn't. It just never happened. No, no, just no, age, of course is, age is not a factor. Yeah. So tell me about the club um, fixing. You know, so so I think one of the other things, and we've heard from, you know, the salties and and Matt with his shop and. Um, People want to have their old things refurbed. How? What's that process? Uh, so, it, it basically began during COVID. Um, I, I worked for Corey Lajosi, and we're partners now. Um, I think I spent probably ten years, sort of, as an apprentice underneath him, and we used to do a lot of refinishing and refurbishment through uh, through his company. And, and uh, so, who's that? Base. Sorry, Corey Lajosi, who's uh, a putter maker out in Bayswater. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's a deep well, isn't it? Yeah, you know, like absolutely. There's a, there's a subculture here that... Um... Oh, yeah. I mean, people, If you you should know who Corey is if you know who I am. I think he's the, okay. he's the man. Yeah, okay. So he taught me a lot of what I know. Yeah. Um, and we, I basically jumped on Instagram. I thought, oh, this might be something to do in my downtime during COVID. Mm-hmm. And it just went from there and people messaged me. And I, I had goals of setting up a website and doing all these things. And then all of a sudden I had way too much work to cope with. And then this opportunity came up with the shop and that's what it's taken up all my time since. But generally, people have messaged me just saying, hey, could you finish, could you fix this for me? A lot of it's back to original, like yeah. old Scotty's carbon steel from the 1990s or vintage like that. And then iron sets, replating, a lot of people have... It's generally the, the Mizuno, the Japanese forged stuff that's worth refurbing, but all kinds of things like that. People are just sitting at home looking at it going, oh, I wish they were brand new and, again. And so what... So- um, obviously the Mizunos because it's just such beautiful steel and they're beautifully designed. So how do you know if what you've got at home, like a set of old East Brothers or something, mm-hmm. if they're worth actually going down the road of refurbishing? I would, I'd probably say that's all up to you. I think that if, you, if it's sentimental to you, I mean, I've refurbed all kinds of things depending on what they mean to the, the customer. And... If you're doing it from an intrinsic value point of view, I mean, then obviously the, the better quality Japanese deals are must. Uh, but if you if it's just something that you've had for a long time, maybe it was your dad's or my it was your first set, My yeah. grandpappy's first set oh, of clubs. They're one of my favourite one of my favourite parts of the job is bringing that sort of stuff back to life. Yeah. And what's that process? Uh, as in start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> so generally you've got to work with a raw product. So depending on how it comes in, you've got to strip the original stuff off of the paints or the PVDs or the chrome platings and things like that. And that can take some, some doing. And then you're working with the raw material to shape and just lightly buff out any of the dings and yeah. reform what and, was there. And so when there's, you know, bag chatter mm. and quite deep, can you, you can't fix that because it's a dent. I'm, and I'm asking, I'm not... Uh, generally get on the welder for that kind of stuff. Oh, and you so weld you, new steel in? Yeah, you can weld yeah, new steel in, right. yeah. So, so I think, you know, maybe early on... Do you do that? Yeah, I try, I've tried to do everything. I've just self-taught for most of it. Yeah. Um, but if, if you're hungry enough and eager enough to learn, you can figure stuff out, I think. So I, generally I would weld stuff. If there's really deep bag chatter, you can fix everything. It's not... I don't think I've seen too many things that we, I can't fix just yet. Maybe right. every now and then there's one that's just absolutely no good. We're not fixing that. But okay. other than that, it's pretty much here. We can weld stuff back together. We can refinish everything. We can get stuff back to a raw material so you can usually do something with it as a general rule. Okay. And what about shaft life? So, for instance, you know, I've got a thing for old Hogan's. It's a, it's a cancer. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. He was a great man. He was a legend. So, <laughs> do you 
if the, like there's rust on their shafts or you know like do, do shafts just sort of run out of steam eventually yeah i would say that shafts are probably not the thing that you refinish very often so with scotties and other putters that have maybe got a unique tip size they might be worth refurbishing and you can refinish the same way you would do a head you can strip the chrome off polish it back up re-chrome it yeah that's how everything's sort of done uh but with irons you're probably looking if I prefer to put new shafts into refurbed iron sets just so you're getting a, a basically a new set when they're done. Okay. And so how do you go about getting in a shaft? So you, you know, is it if you've got a Hogan foot number four? So just so you know, if you don't, if you see an old set of Ben Hogan's, the numbers correlate to the stiffness of the shaft. So a three is a regular shaft and a four is a stiff. Is that right? That yeah, I think basically that's right. right. Yeah, that's right. So if you want to just replace the number four stiff shaft, uh, I'd probably if if that was the scenario, I would probably sift through the catalogue of storage we've got out in Bayswater, and I'd probably be able to find one because over years of working on stuff, and you know, often people will leave their old shafts because they're no good; they've got new shafts in them. Yeah. Therefore, we've got a bit of a, a backlog of things like that. Right. So, you, but you, so you wouldn't go and put an S three hundred dynamic oh, gold. You try in. not to put a, a mismatching iron shaft in one iron in a set. You'd rather do the whole set. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. So if you did the whole set, you'd just... Do... I think, yeah, probably you would. And generally, I say, I don't think the Hogan shafts that came standard, I, I, I'm a massive dynamic gold guy. So I'd, I'd probably <laughs> always just tell people to go back to the true temper if possible. Okay. Yeah, it's the oldest and the best, mate. Okay, and so what is it about the Hogans that you like? Oh, I'm, a, I'm just obviously a Ben Hogan guy. Yeah. Um, I think I... I I went to Texas, so I lived there for a few years. I feel like he was just a, a stunningly cool golfer and he designed his own stuff. And in an era where people, I mean, this is before we had cavity backs, modern drivers, he was the one that was really experimenting, pushing the limits on what they could do with club tech. Yeah. So just to be related to that, I think anything Hogan is sort of pretty special. So when you make your wedges, do you try and do you, do you make them sort of Hogany? Do I emulate Hogan? Well, I, I, you know. I think there have been... The, the thing about wedges is that Bob Vokey comes along yeah. and just changes... Or Roger Cleveland and Bob Vokey, I suppose. Uh, you just... They, they changes the way we looked at everything in terms of camber, bounce, the way that everything operates in a wedge really changed. So maybe going all the way back to the Hogan era is probably too far in sand and lob wedge technology. But, you know each their own, I suppose. Yeah. So when I'm shaping the stuff these days, it's pretty rare that someone would ask for a wedge shaped like a 1950s Sam wedge. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> more like a colonial or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I could, yeah, it could be done. I could shape it. Um, I think generally I try and do all of my shaping so that I'm just looking at it and working off what's in my mind's eye. Mm. Um, if I'm doing a particular job that's for someone who wants something replicated, then I'll, I'll look at it and try and compare and contrast while I'm doing it. But often I think the best way to do it is just to trust yourself and what you know that, to look at. Okay, so, so this is what I was going to ask you before, which was uh, I've been asked. What makes you think that you in your shop, in the back of a shop front, can design a wedge better than Vokey or Cleveland, who have been doing it with millions of dollars and research, do it better than them? And I'm not saying you can't. I just, that's what, like, a, uh, you're such a dickhead. What, I, what makes... looking, I don't think that's, a, I think that's a limitation. I think having millions of dollars in research because then you've got shareholders to answer for and various other factors. So they're getting, I mean, those heads, whilst they're magnificent, they are made on mass and rarely customised. And obviously they're making it without, you know, the shaft and the shaft length and the grip and all the components. Those aren't considered, they're just churning out mass produced heads at a certain weight. 
But if you're making something from scratch, you can control all of those components and it's really more unique in yours, I think. Yeah. So that would just be... I don't know if it's competitive. And no, no, I think that's, no, I think that's the... I, think I, I really like that answer, yeah. I think. Because that's how I, you know, feel about I, it. I mean, I've worked on this stuff for over 10 years now and I think that what I've seen the most of is that wedges are always consistently really light when they come out. So you'll find that they have 10, 15 gram tip weights in them in the hosel, which... You know, I'm taking the weight out of the hosel to try and keep the weight toe side and that they're forced to add the weight back in there because yeah. of the, the limitations they're working with. Right. So there's just a few things where I think it might be a little bit better. And then obviously you can work on leading edge, camber, bounce. All of those things are really unique to players. So as much as you can buy generic grind and you might think this is fantastic, the odds are that it could be improved a little bit just with a little bit of personal touch. So what about if someone, you, you know, someone might listen to this and go, oh, yeah, the leading edge or the... If they want to have a crack at their Callaway <laughs> jaws. I'm not, I'm not recommending <laughs> no, 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 but like, you know, if someone, if someone goes, shit, yeah, I can actually fiddle around with this. Yeah. What are the tools to have a crack with? Uh, I think if you were just doing it at home, if you could get a, a regular bench grinder with a, some sort of belt multi-tool and then it, maybe start with a 240 grit or 320 grit so you're not... So taking, quite light. Yeah, don't take off too much material. Yeah. Can't stress that enough throughout the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Try to leave stuff on the wedge yeah. where possible. But I think that things like the leading edge and the back of the sole, the, the, the bounce at the back, the trail edge relief, I think that those are things that everyone should be thinking about when they're playing. Particularly, I mean, this is a sand belt country down here in melbourne yeah so everyone's playing on hard pan different sorts of grasses but very similar golf courses and quite tight yeah so and it's, it's just there's a unique bounce required for our conditions i think down here in the sand belt so what about what about a um not an angle grinder but a um what are they what's the no, no, what's the sand what's the sand called with a spinning disc you know like a orbital sander an orbital sander yeah um God, that would be. I'd, I'd have a lot of respect for someone who had a crack at that. Okay, yourself. Yeah, I did the whole thing with an orbital. Yeah, not not the whole set. The whole all my wedges. You yeah. ground all your wedges with an orbital grind. Yeah, it was quite quick. <laughs> yeah, did you hold it in a vice or anything? No, I, just like, no. I put the I put the sander in in, there. in a vice. Okay, and I just moved the club around the club and it head went, around it went quickly. Oh, very quick. So I would have thought the oscillating of the sander wouldn't have been as effective as the the grinder going on the wheel but that's good that you had good results mm. i don't think i'll give it a go but <laughs> i'm glad you've had a crack at it yeah so um what do you what do you play uh i've got a set of mira baby blades and obviously i've got a set of my own hand grounds yeah but most people and do you play them very often my hand grounds mm. yeah all the time right yeah i think I've, they're they're the fourth set i've made for myself so they're, they're a more polished item than the first one, which you described your ones as not fantastic. Mm. Mine weren't great either. Mm. Um, so with experience comes, you know, practice or whatever. Yeah. Um, I do play those more often than the Miura Baby Blades, but they're both sensational irons. I think I've got a real soft spot for Miura. Yeah. I think it's about as good as it gets. Okay. And so if you had to choose a set of Hogan's, what would you... Like I noticed, you know, looking there, you've got that FTX set that you've... The, the lefty set that you fixed up for someone. Yeah. So they're, they're beautiful and they look literally brand new. Yeah, I think I'd probably find it hard to go past some, anything from that Apex here is pretty good. I yeah. think if you go back too far, you start to look at the ones that have really interesting offsets and toe boxes, which I think was a Mr. Hogan thing. So I won't, no judgment, but personal preference-wise, not my thing. Right. What about the radials? 
Do you remember the radials? So I think they were early 80s and they had a big fat... I think they were his first... Um, big hosel? Uh, no, but a really wide sole. So it was his first sort of salute to um, perimeter-weighted, you know... Um, Game improvement irons. Yeah, I, I, I'm not picturing it in my head right now, so I can't tell you exactly, but I can imagine that an 80s club with some game improvement technology would look pretty awful by today's standards. But, you know, <laughs> I'm assuming it would have a, either a lot of offset or not enough offset and then really thick top lines and chunkiness, right? Okay. So are you, a, are you a club snob? Like, are you... Does it sound like that? No, no, no. No, <laughs> no, no. Like, so when you play golf with other people... You know, some randoms on the whatever the Saturday comp, or you know, do you look in bags and go, oh, 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 or wow, or Jesus? Uh, so I, I think that I am. I have to admit, but I think that I've gotten a lot better because I think in my early days, especially when I went over to play college, and I was probably in a different headspace. Uh, I used to think that everyone should care about their equipment as much as I do, and what's wrong with people. And now I think. I just love that people are playing golf and enjoying themselves and everyone should get out there and play golf and I don't really care what you're using if you're having fun. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Should we, should, should we all um, have a crack at the older stuff just to experience... The, so, so for the record, and I've said this before, that with the hickories, I think everyone should at least try it because it's kind of like being a 20 marker or, yeah. you know, a 27 marker again because you're going... You could hit a really good hit a good swing whatever but the ball could just go like literally nowhere so just to remind yourself of that it's a hard game i use a persimmon three wood yeah that probably answers the question i think that i'm not particularly inclined to like most modern stuff some of the stuff's obviously pretty cool but i don't think it's a a vast majority of things that are offered every year i mean product cycles just kill the ability for stuff to be cool so i always lean towards the older stuff and I think that if you can get past the lofts and the distances, which is probably the main issue for most amateurs, they all want to hit their seven iron further. Everyone wants to hit it as far as possible. Got yeah. it it's got nothing to do with how far you hit it. It's yeah. how, far, how consistent and how straight you hit it and how much you enjoy hitting the things you're using. And yeah. I think that it, I personally get a lot more out of hitting the older stuff because mm. a lot of the game improvement stuff, like the radials we're just scouting started with, that takes away from the feel and the enjoyment for me. But, it, you know, everyone's going to have their own opinions i just i get a lot more out of using the older stuff okay so are you doing uh the wooden clubs as well the persimmons are you making those look nice yeah i am refurbing persimmons okay which is, what's that process <laughs> it's a little bit different although it's the same general rules where you're you know getting it back to a raw material and trying to polish stuff but with timber you know you're not where it's not as hard to replate and stuff like that it just has to have a really nice clear coat poly at the end yeah um and instead of welding you can use filler and then you've got your brass plate on the bottom or your stainless steel plate, and they can usually be refurbed pretty easily the same as the other stuff. Okay. Um, they, they come up beautiful persimmons. Yeah, so if someone's got some at home... Because there's... You go to any op shop, any, you know, Vinnie's... Well, not any, but, you know, like, you can find them in, in your dad's garage. There's... Yeah. There's one somewhere. Persimmons are one that I'd probably say even more so than the irons. You'd want to have a you'd, you'd want to the sentimental value would want to be there or you'd you'd want to be using it or it would want to be pretty special because yeah. it's a pretty big process to refurb a persimmon wood okay and so it's not just sanding it back matching the color and then um it's the dog the dog loves it it's good it's a lovely dog uh so it's not just sanding it back and matching the color and and then clear coating it no i think there's well generally if you're refurbing it there could be insert problems 
So you're going to have to look at the, what, what the insert looks like. And you can re-laminate and refix that as well. Yeah. Um, re-scoring as well, because sometimes those plastic inserts get really beaten up, don't they? Yeah. 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 Um, I think, it, but in general, it is fairly similar to the irons. It's just a lot more, it's a cumbersome task. Yeah. And then you've got it, your binding, pulling yeah. the shaft with the pin. Oh, I'm really glad we don't have <laughs> pins and shafts anymore. Yeah. Um, I've spent way too many hours of my life pulling those kind of things apart. Okay. Um, but... In general, I mean, it is, in the essence, it's the same. Okay. And what's your three wood that you're playing? Tony Penner, 1953, X100. Shaft? Okay. Modern shaft. Yeah, right. Yeah. Great. Modern-ish shaft. Yeah, yeah. okay. And I, I jump up on the launch monitor upstairs. It's five metres shorter than the, the modern ones. Wow. Yeah. So that's the shaft? Uh, I think it's, it's, for me personally, it's the mass. So modern golf clubs are all really light. And especially in the woods, they all, they're all got 50 grams, 60 gram shafts, really long, trying to get you to hit it as far as possible. But in the end, my, I got my three woods, 42 and a quarter inches and X100. So that means I hit the sweet spot more often. And if I hit the sweet spot more often, I'm getting a lot more out of the golf club. It just makes a lot more sense to me. And I, obviously, I like the mass, the, the heavier weight. Okay. And then when you're playing it, right, so you're playing with anyone new and they go, oh. Uh, it's, it's difficult to get past that. Yeah. yeah but, but, but you like that. <laughs> I do and I don't because it, it's it's good to be a novelty, but it's also I'm I'm annoyed by the fact that it is a novelty. I wish that everyone enjoyed playing for Simmons as much as I do, or I wish it didn't sound as abstract as it does when mm. you tell people, "Ah, oh, I still like the old stuff," and I get more out of that. Right. But you know, I probably wouldn't. I'd take out a more modern three wood in an Ambrose day. I just don't want my partners to think that I'm holding us back, <laughs> leaving five yards here. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, okay, interesting. So you're still a scratch golfer? I think I've, I've got one at the moment. Okay. Yeah, it's, I haven't had a lot of practice. Right. The so, okay. Well, look, congratulations on the shop. It looks brilliant. Um, and, I, and I think the nice that there's a, that genuine sense of, you know, love about it. You've got the hitting area upstairs. So do people, is the idea that you'll, people will come in and hit and find something they like and go and then off with it. Yeah, so it'll function in a couple of ways. We've got, uh, obviously, Coriola Josie's putters will be available here, mm-hmm. um, and they're all design your own. You can basically customise every component. So in the same way that I grind the wedges, Cory mills the putter to you, so you can have your weights, the necks, all those factors are controlled. Sight lines are really important. And then we've got uh, Nick Ward from Ernest Performance. He'll be operating out of the simulator, so if you want to look at some newer clubs, he'll have the full fitting kit for everything that's currently available upstairs. Yeah. And then if you want some of the more coolest stuff you can talk to me about <laughs> come out back to the uh, yeah, St Andrews room we can have a chat about it in the workshop but we'll, we'll be able to fit some older stuff and I love the idea of people bringing in their older heads for refurbishment but getting fit into more modern shafts yeah because then you can leave in total peace of mind knowing that this is really comparable to anything I could buy now and it'll be good for as long as you want to use it Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There was one other thing uh, I did want to talk about, and that's stamping. So with these, these, um, these wedges that you've done, he's got the, um, the regulator. Is what is one is that's <laughs> called the regulator, and one's called the monster, as in M O N S T A, as in truck. Yeah. But you know, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, and you said you do your own stamping, but you're not that good at it. What's because you can? So, okay. No, I didn't say that. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> I started poorly. You started. Okay, right. Like we all do. So you can you can actually buy the letters and numbers in a mm. block from I think super cheap auto. Yeah, they're pretty readily available. The yeah. cheaper stuff. Yeah. So, um, but, how, but it's hard to to do it. So how do you actually? Because I think everyone should stamp their own wedges. Yeah. What do you need? Uh, a bench vice, and yeah, if you wanted to go and grab some stamps from your local, I think they might even sell them at Bunnings as well. Yeah, too. probably. And they're readily available. Some yeah. of those now that they're, they're lower quality than the the more professional stuff, but you'll get the same result. The most important thing is to just make sure the wedge head isn't moving when you're hitting it with the hammer because it does require a fair bit of force to hit it with the hammer. Mm. So if you're, if you're juggling things or trying to hold it, you need two hands free. A lot of the things I've, a lot of the mistakes I've seen have been pretty comical in terms of like, oh, I was just trying to hit it on the, on the wooden bench doing this. And it's like, it takes a lot of force to make a good imprint with the stamp. So, is the, so are you saying it's, it's, it's one hit? It should be one hit, yeah. <laughs> I love your face. Yeah. Should be one clean strike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if it's not if it's not one clean strike? Uh you can there's there's ways and means of getting it there. Yeah. So looking at your stamping thing, you've got a special platform. Did you say it's a magnetized st- platform? Yeah, so I've got a, a large uh toolmaker's vice and I've got a magnetic chuck and I'll you can use either of those for various things but the magnet means the wedge head's obviously not going anywhere gives you a flat surface to work on yeah brilliant for those kind of things yeah and then when you've got your hammer in place one clean strike probably watch the stamp because you don't want to hit your hand that's very painful yeah and if you don't hold the stamp tight enough you might have experienced that it does fling off in your hands very yeah. dangerous that's why we're stamping towards the back of the workshop yeah just in case yeah. it might not always be me stamping it so we've got to right. account for that um but i agree everyone should stamp their wedges uh, the personalization aspect of it's sensational isn't it mm. and then the art form of it i think a lot of people probably underestimate just how difficult stamping is yeah it's a real challenge well i think it's also that thing of you don't realize how hard you've actually got to hit it oh, so yeah. if you don't hit it really hard like, oh, so yeah, the, the problem that most people will have is they'll hit it nowhere near hard enough, make the smallest of imprints of a letter, which means you can't put the stamp back into it because it's not big enough to hold the stamp. So you've got to kind of guess where it was and then you'll double stamp it and it's we, not fantastic. Tragically, we're the same person, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, although if you double stamp it and you're Scotty Cameron, that will add value to it. Right. <laughs> so how are we going to become... How are we going to work that out? Yeah. All right. So where, where, where do you see yourself... Um, where where are you going? Like where? I don't know if you have a dream of, like, this is, is it? it, is we're, it we're in it. We're standing in the dream. Yeah. I think I've wanted like I've I've been working out of my old man's garden shed for 
since I was four or five years old trying to pull stuff apart, put it back together. So just to have my own space, my own workshop is about as far as I've ever dreamt, to yeah. be honest. So maybe ask me in a few weeks or months and we'll see how we're going. But I've, I'm pretty happy with where we've got this place to now. And the best way to get in touch with you if someone wants to get something refurbed is it Instagram or call the... Yeah, Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then when the shop's up and running, there will be a website and a landline that people can call or it's 1210 High Street, Armadale. Uh, we'll be open, I think, at least six days a week and I'm always here early mornings, late nights. Let's just do that again because the shop is up and running so I won't put this to okay. to go yeah. until... Um, so if someone does want to get reef, you know, whatever it is, and like it's anything really, isn't it? Anything golf-related, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd just love talking to people about Are you going to make... Um, are you going to do the, you know, like... <laughs> ball markers and all that stuff. Yeah, we've got ball markers. Yeah, I've got um, and Matt Burns from Angus and Grace Go Golfing, who you've had. He's he's made some Mulligans apparel, which is upstairs. Yeah. That'll be on the racks, filling the front room. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have them. We've got obviously balls, gloves. It'll it'll be a golf shop, but obviously I get the most out of the Mulligans bit. Yeah. Um, we'll do as many things golf related as people require. And you can get in touch with us through Instagram and Facebook at the moment. Uh, there'll be a website. It'll be mulligansclubmakers.com.au. Uh, and the shop is 1210 High Street, Armadale. Yeah. We're here every day except Monday, I think. So when do you golf then? Uh, on Monday. And then hopefully in the summer. <laughs> in the twilight in the summer. I'm a massive twilight golfer. Okay. I really like hitting off like at dusk. Quick nine sort of, quick yeah. four. Uh, I think you can get 14 if you go quick. Yeah. If you think you've got nine in you and then you get to the end, you can always play a few more. Okay. And then what chance of the dream of some young guy or girl getting a set of mulligans and then becoming a world beater, like winning something with your clubs? I think that would be pretty sensational. Uh I would probably get as much out of that as I would from just your local guy who got better at golf, though. I don't know if I find... Like, the pro aspect's great, and good players are always super rewarding to work with, but anyone that's using your equipment and having fun playing golf is just sensational for me personally from where I've come from. Okay, and why mulligans? Uh, well, we're refurbing things. We're giving things a second life, a second oh, hit. Oh, yeah, clever. It's a catchy little name, I thought. And yeah. I really wanted club makers in the title because I've always felt that there wasn't enough promotion in club making itself. A lot of things, if you go to the bigger retailers and you ask them to do a job for you and pull something apart, put it back together, there's, there's not a lot of consistency in how that's done. And they might have a couple of good people working around the place, but generally there's just not enough affection for club making as it is. And I think club making is probably the most important aspect of your golf game apart from going out and practising. Yeah. So having the right equipment, the right swing weights, the right frequencies if you're that way inclined, making sure your grips are all the same thickness and they all match, all of those things that you can control before you even get to the golf course, that's what I'd really want mulligans and club makers to be. Okay. I've just now got the full horror about my wedges. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And then you, like, the guys will come in and they'll pull out, I've got yeah. a mid-size grip on my three-wood, I've got a ladies' grip on my driver, I've got a, you know six to the same grips on mine, but there's three different ones and one's got five papers. And then they've got, you know, I'll, I'll frequency match the shafts and then the 7 iron will be the same flex as the 5 iron. And you're like, I don't know how you think you're going to get any consistency out of this set. Right. It's hard enough. Let's control these things before you get to the golf course. Yeah. Well, listen, good luck. Great to chat to you. And, um, and I think you're going to go great guns. Thanks very much, Andrew. How good. Adam Jefferson. Mulligans is the place at the top end of High Street, 
just south of Glenferry Road. Um, and honestly, his wedges that he's made for that guy, are they're gorgeous. Uh, genuinely, genuinely gorgeous. So check him out on Instagram or on the Facebook, um, or go to his shop and meet him and talk to him. There's a pretty good chance he'll have something that will float your boat. I'm not in much doubt about that. As for the name Mulligans, I did ask him once we'd stopped recording and he said Mulligans comes from a guy whose actual name was Mulligan and he would play golf with his mates but they would get there early and they would get to play and uh, warm up and practice and that sort of bizzo but he'd have to rush straight from the car so he'd when he'd play with them I think pretty sure this is the telling of the story when he'd play with them he'd say let me just have one bad shot because you guys have warmed up and I haven't. And that's where the term mulligan came from, which is just a lovely notion in itself. All right, more on golf. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.